1: I'm so excited to bring you today's episode with relationship expert and life coach, Matthew Hussey. His relationship advice on YouTube has been viewed by tens of millions of men and women. He's written books like Get the Guy and How to Talk to Men to Help Women Everywhere Have Better Relationships. Today we're talking about some of the biggest reasons why relationships fail, how to adjust to make sure your relationship is successful, and how to keep challenging each other even after being together for a long time to keep growing together. I hope you guys love this episode as much as I did recording it. And if you do, please leave a review on our podcast. That's the best way to support the podcast so we can get this valuable content out to everyone that needs it. I'm Tom Bilyeu and welcome to Conversations with Tom. Matthew Hussey, welcome. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, thanks for being here. What, is, what are the biggest reasons that most relationships fail that people should be aware of so that they can actually adjust and make sure that their relationship is successful? I think people stop growing
0: in relationships. Anytime we feel like, what's exciting about the beginning of a relationship is that we don't feel like we've fully figured each other out. It's also what's really exciting about dating. I don't feel like you, I have any guarantee you like me enough yet. And so there's that sense of why, you know, why is it a cliche that the chase is exciting? The chase isn't exciting if I think 100% it's a done deal. The chase is exciting if there's some element of, I know you like me and there's a chance, but I also know that I have to work for this. I have to, this is challenging. You know, I have to really bring my best to the table. When two people really know each other, there's that sense that these are two completely known quantities. Now, from one aspect, that's really attractive because it creates love, it creates connection, it creates a bond. But from another perspective, there's that part of our mind that still wants to be challenged, that still wants to feel like there's, there's something to do here. And one of the greatest ways to, you know, I think it's a time-old question, how do we challenge someone in a relationship when we already know everything about each other and we already feel like we have each other? It, continuing to grow is one of the greatest challenges you can present. And growth doesn't have to mean anything crazy. It could be reading a new book so that you have a different conversation to bring today. It could be learning a new skill. It could be performing well at something. But that growth allows our partner to continuously feel like there's always something to learn about us. There's some element of mystery that remains. Uh, Proust said, the journey of discovery lies not in seeking new landscapes, but in seeing with new eyes.
1: Now that's, to me, the which I think is really powerful, but it's almost the exact opposite. That's like, hey, part of your job in this dynamic, because I do think growing is huge, but mm-hmm. the other part is, like, I'm about to go on my 20th wedding anniversary, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But that I have to find new ways to look at Lisa, to see her afresh, that even though she is a very well-mapped territory for me, I also have to put in energy to, like, challenge myself to see something new
0: that exactly it goes both ways i don't think it's just incumbent on one person to continue to bring their best to the table and to grow it's incumbent on us to not see this person as so familiar and make that calculation which is a false one by the way that we know everything there is to know about this person well that's looking in the rearview mirror it doesn't mean we know everything about who they will be or about how they're growing or the parts of themselves that they haven't even spoken to us about because We haven't asked them those kinds of deep questions in a long time, which is why sometimes you go on vacation with your partner after a long time of being together and you come back feeling closer. Why? Because you probably had time to ask each other different questions than the ones you ask on a regular week when the two of you are busy at work and even the weekends, you're like trying to just play catch up on getting rest and not getting to know each other. So that would be the first one is growing. The second one would be as simple as it is continuing to respect your relationship and your partner enough to try to try what to actually put in the effort with them that you put in with new people esther perel talks about this you know we go into work and we often give our most charismatic charming energetic selves to everybody else and then our partner gets the scraps at the end of the night
1: that's so interesting can i reveal a secret yeah okay so as you well know, being a CEO of a company, you have to be charismatic, and you have to like get everybody together and point them in a direction. And so, no matter how bad my day is, I'm gonna come into a group meeting, and I'm gonna be charismatic, and I can feel myself flipping a switch. It's kind of like coming to a party. Coming to a party and being a downer doesn't make any sense. You're gonna walk in, no matter what, oh, what's up everybody? And so, I play that same role in the company, but with Lisa, when I do that, I feel fake. And I don't mind faking it. I don't want to be a liar, but I don't mind faking it in the company. In fact, I feel an obligation to present a a a brave face, like Mm. on a day where everything is down. Like I'm not, and I I would advise any CEO worth their salt: don't come in and wear your heart on your sleeve and be like, "Oh my God, like I'm terrified, like this is horrible." But with my wife, I want to be like that. Mm. problem is and this is me dude i've watched so much of your content this is me like channeling you uh at some point like that's dumping i think that you call it like where you're just constantly Mm. cycling like no like this is freaking me out this is freaking me out this is freaking me out it's like at some point i do owe her charisma but how do you find that balance like i don't want to feel fake with lisa but at the same time i don't want to just constantly make my insecurities her problem i suppose we all have we all have different
0: gears that we go to right when we're stressed we go to one gear where we we take a lot when we're stressed we go to our partner and we're we might be anxious we might be freaked out about something we might just be burnt out and we go to to get energy and so it might be a simple reframing of oh i've been going to this situation to get energy more than i've been going to the situation lately to give energy and giving energy might just be a different version of ourselves not that's fake like i'm sure when you're feeling good or when you're feeling relaxed there's a playfulness that comes out that isn't there at the end of a long day and that playfulness is every bit as much you as this other side but it's almost sometimes it i feel like it's almost just logistics right you if you keep seeing someone at the same time at the end of every day then they're getting that you
1: Oh, that's really interesting
0: at the end of every day mm. whereas i'm not and i'm not suggesting this is right for your schedule or anyone else's but if you took the first half hour of your day and said i'm just going to de- take like some of this great energy and dedicate it there first then it would just naturally be a different energy than there are. it might be worse by the way it might be even more anxious energy cuz you're like i have so it's much to do so i can't even simple, though, but it's
1: really interesting i've actually because i have so many rules that i live by to overcome my laziness So for instance, Monday through Friday, if I'm awake, I'm either working or working out. That's a mantra I say to myself all the time to stay on focus because I really am just an obscenely lazy person by nature. And so I've had to put these things in. But that means, to your point, that during the week, and my wife is is a literal saint for dealing with this, during the week, I'm not a husband. I am a business partner to my wife. On the weekends, I'm a husband and a business partner, if I'm really honest. But like, (laughs) I'm definitely a husband. I prioritize being a husband on the weekends. Um, But that's really interesting in terms of the energy flip because you're right, logistically, different times of the day I'm in different modes. Those modes have like a micro personality assigned to them, Mm. and which is an idea I got from Jordan Peterson. I heard you say that people should like acknowledge people when they're using their idea. That's a Jordan Peterson thing that people have these micro personalities. That's really interesting, man.
0: I, I, and I suffer from the same thing. And I, one of the things I've noticed about myself is, you know, my partner Audrey and I, we work at home together. Mm. And sometimes I realize, like it'll be at 11 o'clock in the morning and I'll have done a couple of hours of good work and, and she might be right there. And I know that there's, I might have this little euphoria of having just done a couple mm. of hours of really good work. Maybe I wrote and I find it really hard to get myself to sit down and write. Mm. And I actually wrote this morning and I have that little buzz of I did that difficult thing. And I know that there's kind of a moment where I'm like, I don't have a meeting for an hour. And yes, there are a hundred things that could now fill this next hour. But what would happen if I just went and gave 10 or 15 minutes of this euphoric playful energy to her right now. And I don't always do that, some, because sometimes I come from a scarcity place of like, I only have so much energy in the day and you know it's hard enough to get all these things done, I just need to go straight into the next thing. But sometimes I, I, I feel like I'm stealing you know, 10 or 15 minutes just to go and give her some really lovely energy while I feel it. And I do think those things have a real impact. And they also, speaking of the original question, why do some relationships fail? It's because we keep singing the same song over and over and over again and we never you know That song might be a very serious song and by the way, we love serious songs like there's a there's a time and a place for a serious song but But we also if we listen to that all day every day, it's too much So we sometimes listen to a fun song and sometimes we listen to a sad song and sometimes a relationship is an album, but if you're one song all the time then even the best song on repeat starts to get tiring so that i forget number one was um growth growth. number two was trying and and trying doesn't just mean trying harder it can mean trying can be more subtle it can be bringing a different energy than the one you normally bring and the third secret i would say and the reason why a lot of relationships fail is we have to be willing to give someone what they crave and need, not the thing that we really like giving. Because it's really easy Reach. to keep giving the thing that we're comfortable giving. Like sometimes, you know, if, we're, if we give love through food or if we give love through uh, coming and giving someone affection or whatever it may be, that may be the thing that we find it really easy to give. And so we just keep giving it and giving it and giving it. But the, to me, the key to relationships is listen well enough that you know what it is they're absolutely craving and then give them that exact thing. So it might be that what they're craving is a evening with their friends. Like maybe you, if you read between the lines of what they've been saying to you recently, they keep saying like, You know, I feel like I haven't had a lot of balance in my life recently. I haven't really caught up with my friends. I'm feeling, you know, and if you listen hard enough, you'll go, Oh, what this person keeps telling me is that their friendships are really important to them and they haven't had time for them. So the best thing I can do is go have a night with my friends so that they get the space to go and have a night with theirs without feeling guilty that they're not spending the time with me. Like my independence this week is the greatest gift I can give to them. But that requires listening. And I think for, in relationships, one of the reasons they break down is for too many days or weeks or months or years in a row, I feel like the thing you've been giving me is the thing you wanna give me, not the thing I actually need from you.
1: Dude, that so there's this joke that my wife and I make Don't give the gift you would want to receive, give the gift that the other person wants because my sister-in-law, God bless her, had a fiance who is no longer her fiance, Uh, not just because of what I'm about to say, but in part, uh, one of the gifts that they gave her was a movie that they really liked. And it was like, you know, a Christmas gift, and it was like, oh my God, here you go. And she was like, but you know I hate this kind of, it was like a sci-fi movie. She's like, you know I hate this kind of movie. Like, why on earth are you giving this to me? And of course, it made her feel unheard, like he wasn't listening. But I totally get where he's coming from, which is, so we all have a love language. Um, They're probably oversimplified, but it gets you in the right ballpark. And if, so for me, words of affirmation is huge. Mm. But for my wife, it's quality time. Now, if I'm giving her words of affirmation, it doesn't mean that they don't resonate, but it's not going to land the way it would land if I was like, yo, I really want to carve this time out with you. I want to sit down. Like, what do you want to do? Like, let's really sink in. And the problem is that when I do that for her, I love it because it's time with my wife and I really enjoy it. But it, I feel like I'm not really giving her the thing that she needs and that she would want, which is words of affirmation. Because I feel it internally when I give her words of affirmation because it's my love language. It's the same, this is gonna seem silly maybe, but when, so in my family we do Christmas lists because I think to your earlier point, don't go out with your friends by the way. If you don't first ask your significant other, is that something you would want? Because if, like for Lisa, if I was like, I bet what she needs is space. And so I'm in a boat now, and she's like, what? I want time with you. This would be a nightmare, and she'd be like, what is going on? Yeah. But at Christmas, you so that you get the things that you actually care about, we write down these lists. And I will go through and look for things that I also like on their list, and I will give them those things. Because I feel a different way. and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. And so it's like getting people, so for instance, my sister loves, oh my God, you like anime, right? Uh Dude, we have got to talk more about that. I heard you in an interview talking about weathering with you and I was like, wait a second. Lisa told me about this. Uh, My sister likes manga. And so I'll go through her list. Like if it's manga, I'm going to be the one that gives it to her because I like manga. Mm. And so it's like, I get it. It's a trap. You're a thousand percent right. But I also feel that nature has done us a bit dirty because it feels so good when it aligns with the thing that you also like so you've really got to be like super careful. In fact, so you've huh. given us three things. I'll give people a fourth, which uh, we can round to communication. But it's really like you have to say things out loud that almost seem stupid because they are so self-evident. Hmm. And what? So what do you mean by that? Okay, I'll give you one that is. Oh God. <laughs> Okay. So this is, if you have kids in the room, now would be the time to get them to leave. (laughs) So I used to hate shopping. And so I told my wife, look, the key to motivating me is to touch me in a very special way. And if you do that, I just tell you right now that like, whatever you want to do at that point, like I'm totally game. And so my wife just, learned very early on in the relationship the easy way to give me the thing that i wanted to get me excited to go do something that she wanted was that and so but i had to say it out loud like i just had to tell her like you're really reaching and struggling to find things that would make me want to do that thing i'll just tell you right now what it is (laughs) and so in articulating that it felt stupid because i couldn't believe i had to articulate it because in my own mind it was so self-evident and yet Mm. i saw her struggle because she was what would be the things that would work for her, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's not what you would want to do for me, this is it. And so Lisa and I call that giving the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Like what are my hot button things? Whether they should be or not, here they are. My insecurities, whether I should be insecure about this thing or not is irrelevant, here it is. And so these are the keys to the kingdom. And if people take the time to actually articulate these things, Then it's like the other person's like, oh, wow, like I wouldn't have guessed it. Maybe I should, but I wouldn't have guessed it. And now that you've articulated it, I get it. And so going back to the example you gave, like before you go, oh, the thing I should do to acknowledge where you're at is go out with my friends so that you can do the thing that you want. I would just say, hey, I've been picking up this vibe. Is this really like what would be rad for you? And if it would, then we do it. And if it wouldn't, then we don't.
0: The, the keys to the kingdom thing is huge because we so many people expect their partner to be a mind reader. Yes. And they're not. And just giving them a blueprint of how to please you, of how to make you happy, which by the way, I mean, it translates directly to the bedroom. A lot of people aren't having the sex they should be because they're literally not talking to each other They're both trying to read each other's minds and be these master lovers and like read each other and i know you're gonna like this and i'm gonna try this and but the truth is what makes amazing sex is two people who say i like it when you do exactly that thing that really turns me on when two people are in that situation i also think the uh keys to the kingdom thing is something we should be always paying attention to the things your partner says to you often in like just you could be in the car going somewhere and your partner will reveal inadvertently the keys mm. to the kingdom. I'm a, I'm a note taker and people might find this strange, but like, if I hear something, my I can't rely on my mind mm. to remember that three months from now. So I write it down and it's like, if I, if I have a place where I can go to remember, like, these are the things that would over time I've realized are the keys to the kingdom that would really please my partner if I did them that's a really useful thing to be able to go back to Yeah. and the other thing I will say is that you never that keys to the kingdom thing if your partner tells you something that would or it, let me reverse it if you told your partner if you gave your partner the keys to the kingdom this thing that would really mean a lot to me and then they don't do it or they don't care enough to do it, that becomes a great revealer of the relationship itself. Because I think one of the greatest things, the greatest values that keeps a relationship going is teamwork. And I mean not just the kind of teamwork of we're on a joint vision together, but the kind of teamwork that says we are a team in making each other as happy as possible.
1: Do facts. Want the other person to succeed. Yep. Like that is one thing that, Uh, watching other people in relationships. I'm like, do you want them to win? Or are you trying to win? Like what, what's happening here? Yeah. So yeah, you've got to want to see them be happy.
0: And if, and if they tell you something, this is going to really please me if you do it, if they, then you should be doing that thing. And if you're with someone that too many times in a row, you keep saying these things make me really happy when you do them and they don't compromise your values. They're just effort. If you're in a relationship where someone doesn't do those things, then you, then you have to start what questioning, is this a teammate? Didn't? Would you call it out? I think that there are like every relationship is that it's a sort of spectrum, right? To what extent do I accept that there are certain things you do you don't like doing versus kind of hope that if it means a lot to me, you would do that. Mm. I don't think there's any perfect answer to that other than real teamwork, you you tend to know it when you feel it. And the more of it you can give, I kind of think the more, the more, if you're not feeling it from somebody else, then give them it on the things they really want that don't come naturally to you or that you wouldn't not ordinarily do. I, this thing that you want, you really like a tidy bedroom. I don't care. How do you know? But I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to, I'm going to tidy the bedroom because it means a lot to you. If you do enough of those things, I think it gives you a lot of leverage to go to your partner and be like, hey, this stuff that's really important to me, you're not doing. But by the way, I don't care about having a tidy room. And yet every morning I make the bed. Every morning I tidy up all of my clothes. Every morning I do these things. I don't do that for me. I do it because I know it makes you happy. And I like making you happy. It makes me happy to make you happy. But sometimes I wonder why I don't get the same in return. But I don't think we have that leverage if we're in this tit-for-tat mindset that Mm. you haven't been doing these things for me that I really want, so I'm not doing them for you, but now I'm coming to you from an angry and resentful place. So I think you have to go from a place of leverage and that leverage is I'm doing a lot to make you happy.
1: Yeah, so interesting. So these are the things that you have to say out loud. And so one thing that Lisa and I always talk about is don't test me. So, for instance, in the beginning of our relationship, I have a terrible memory. And people that see me on camera are convinced that I have a good memory and that I'm just being humble. I'm so happy to hear you say that. Brother, it's fucking terrible. I'm, I have a lot of insecurity around my memory. Well, then you and I can be insecure together. Because <laughs> I have a lot of insecurity around my memory really? as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've thought I, there's and, something wrong with me
0: sometimes. right? There go. is
1: something wrong with me, for sure. I guarantee it. Dude, the, the amount of hours that I have spent thinking like, how much farther would I be in my life if I had a better memory? I'm not kidding. So yeah, yes, I've had success it. in my life. But I'm just telling you, dude, I would be so much farther along if I had a better memory. That's a real pressure valve for me hearing oh my that. Because I think, I
0: think about that all the time. And I, I literally, I said, to, I said to Audrey, my fiance, the other day, I was like, I'm so glad that we're together, partly because you're like a living archive of my experiences. Like she'll tell me, she'll say, Man, you know, the last time you remember when we were in LA like a few months ago and you were so ill. And I'll go, uh, when oh was that? God. And, and I'm, you, were, you and I are the same. And I'll be like, she'll be like, what are you talking about? You were like really, <laughs> really in a bad way. Yeah. And I'll have to search for this, this memory and it
1: freaks me out sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So the bad news is your life would be a lot further along <laughs> if you had a better memory. Unfortunately, this is one of those like really real things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So because of that, I told Lisa, look, I know it matters to you a lot that I uh, remember our anniversary or your birthday, all of that stuff. And I was like, I swear to God, I am prepared to dedicate my life to you. I would literally die for you. Like no bullshit. If there's an intruder in the house, literally just the other day, this happened. And there was somebody on our property that should not have been. And Lisa calls me, I come and deal with it. She does not need to deal with it. I will put myself in harm's way. But I can't promise you I'm gonna remember that our anniversary is coming up. And so on the day of our anniversary, on the week leading up to it, will you please just remind me, don't test me. If you know, I, I will make you feel to the core of your being that you were loved by me. Because I, I owe her that, I owe myself that for the health of the relationship. She has to feel to the core of her existence that I love her and all that but don't make me remembering a date or whatever. Like, Don't make that a test of whether or not I really love you because it's just not how my mind works. So that, what
0: you just said is so vitally important to the question you asked before, which is what do you do when someone isn't doing those things, mm. right? Because let's, let's say in her mind, Lisa originally came from a paradigm of, it really is important to me when someone remembers these was. what gives you the leverage to be like, can can I get some leeway here, is uh, how much love you give her in all these other vital, important ways, that she knows your heart, that she knows your intentions, Mm -hmm. that she knows your kindness, that she knows who you are and how much you love her. And not just in the sense, because, I think in this argument intentions matter but they're not the only thing that matters in a in an abusive relationship a a guy who says my intention is to be a great partner it doesn't count for a lot if a relationship is abusive especially physically then that to that extent intentions don't matter for the relationship what matters is the fact but intentions intentions matter on some level but what also matters is how many other ways you're showing up that are really important, that she's able to look at this in the round and go, I'm I'm insanely happy. Like this relationship makes me unbelievably happy. The fact that this rule that I'd set up for myself, that I needed this, it, it doesn't actually matter anymore. or It certainly doesn't matter nearly as much. And sometimes I think what it allows us to do is get behind the rule in the first place. The reason I had that rule is because someone remembering the anniversary became a symbol of how much they care, how much Mm -hmm. they think of me, how much they pay attention. But if I feel like I know how much he cares, I know how much he's thinking of me, I know how much he's paying attention, then all of a sudden I don't need the rule anymore. So I think that's kind of, in in a way, a crucial recipe for how sacrifices do get made when they have to get made. Is that you have enough credits in the bank
1: in all these other ways that this thing actually doesn't matter
0: in the way that it used
1: to yeah you have to have credits in the bank that's really well said like if you want to make a withdrawal you better have made a lot of deposits which something you've talked about which lisa and i talk about and people are super weird about it is relationships or work right and yeah what do you say to people when they get weird about that
0: i don't know what life they're living that i'm not i don't you know it's a kind of you know it's the same as when people talk about no regrets and there's a poet a a british poet david white who wrote a beautiful essay on on regret and the and actually the importance of regret and he said tell me more he said um well first he said for people who say they have no regrets he he says where have you been You know like but he said regret is very very instructive you know you you if if you regret having bullied someone at school that informs how you go about the rest of your life and how you treat people and the warmth that occurs in your life towards people and the compassion occurs as a result of that so you know to 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 ignore regrets or to simply pass them off is is really to to not take the lesson with you. Um, and that doesn't mean that you continuously, it's not the same as shaming yourself or wagging your finger in, in your face for it. it. It's just, he sees regret as actually an important word in language, not one to be dismissed as, you should never regret anything. But similarly, I struggle with the concept that relationships should be easy because I've never had an easy relationship. And I don't mean just with my partner, I mean in my life, I mean with my mum, with my brothers, with, my cousins with my best friends I I wouldn't describe I would certainly describe certain relationships as um not containing suffering like unnecessary suffering but I don't have a single relationship that hasn't involved pain who who, I I believe our life gets gets better in direct proportion to the number of difficult conversations we're willing to have and If a difficult conversation with anyone, with our best friend, hey, that thing you did recently upset me, which is a conversation you must have with a best friend, that's not an enjoyable conversation for anyone. No one wants to have it. The reason we call it a difficult conversation is because we'd rather do anything else than have that honest conversation today. But if we can do it, the relationship gets better. I wouldn't call that easy Um, I think the reason people have kind of coined that phrase when it's right, it's easy is in contrast to the kinds of relationships they've been in in that have been torturous. Where there has been true uh, just incompatibility. Where it's a constant grind. Where they're having to constantly grit their way through it and convince themselves why it's worth staying why i should keep going in those relationships i think people then come out and they're like it shouldn't be this hard and they're right it shouldn't be that hard but i don't think that's the same thing as i I worry when we say that the right relationship is easy because i worry that that comes with a kind of entitlement that that comes with a kind of I'm, i'm not supposed to have to do any work or if there's a speed bump early on which there will be of course there will be there are gonna be days where you find out something about each other that you don't like where you go oh i don't that piece of history of yours that i didn't know about yesterday that just upset me you know and you have to now have that conversation and wrestle with it together and you you if it's the right relationship what the difference is, you come out of that conversation stronger as a unit. That, to me, defines the right relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the biggest indicators of a right relationship is being with someone who knows how to handle you. You, you know, we, we spend so much time in relationships kind of trying to weigh up who's right and who's wrong. Right? Someone just got jealous about something and they kind of acted out. And that then creates this kind of a speed bump, it creates a moment, it creates a, a fire to be put out. And and that would not be a moment where we would say, this is easy. It would be a moment where we're both frustrated with each other. I don't think you should be jealous about this thing. I'm jealous about this thing and I feel incredibly uh, justified in being jealous about this thing. And now we're gonna like battle this out. That to me is, a moment where we get to define the relationship but too often people in that situation are arguing about who's right and who's wrong and the truth is if we can remove that for a moment and just go is this person who this let's say the person who's jealous has wounds they have trauma there's like stuff there that's going on for them and and Sooner or later, if they want a happy life, they might have to heal that. There is going to be someone who comes along. Anyone who comes along is going to aggravate it at some point because it's there. So it will be aggravated. That it got aggravated isn't a sign that this person is the wrong person. To me, if this person aggravates it and having aggravated it, this trauma just gets worse then that relationship may be the wrong relationship but if this person aggravates it but then when this person gets jealous the way they handle it gives this person a chance to actually heal Mm -hmm. and as a result this person starts to let go because for them their whole life jealousy has meant you know it's fear it's you're gonna leave me it's i'm not good enough it's you know danger and then this person comes along and aggravates it and i go all that same stuff happens tense up get frustrated get mad get something but then the way you approach me in that is a healing presence and then i kind of let go a little bit now you're right not because not because you're such an because uh, uh, you're right all the time you're right because you know how to handle me and i think we sometimes spend we don't spend enough time looking for people who are actually good at handling us and that, that shouldn't be an excuse for all of our worst stuff all the time but i've said to clients of mine who are, who have coached privately like dude this it's not that this person You're spending so much time going, is she in the right? Is she in the wrong? Is she an evil person or is she an angel? You're spending so much time worrying about that instead of just going, is this person a healing presence for me? Or do they just aggravate my worst trauma in a way that makes it worse? Mm -hmm. Because I think relationships, two people should be able to come together to heal. Is the person I'm with able, is it a relationship becomes a healing and I have to be part of that but is it a healing presence for me and if the answer is no too many times in a row forget right and wrong it's not the relationship that's going to help you overcome those things
1: cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Head right now to netsuite.com theory. Again, that's netsuite.com theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com theory. That's the advanced class. That, that is advanced class. So I couldn't agree more. I think that it's really interesting when I really look at why Lisa and I have lasted as long as we have because we both have our insecurities, we can both trigger the other person's insecurities, but to your point, we're able to help guide the other person out. But, as you said, that doesn't mean that I get to just throw my insecurities on Lisa all the time and say, you deal with it, or Mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's like, at some point you have to own that I can't just cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So, if something triggers me, whoa, like, hey, I have this insecurity, I shouldn't have to lie about it, The person should give me that space to have that because we all have them. If they can, man, it'd be amazing if they can help you negotiate that. And then at the same time, they have to hold you accountable to not just sitting in that all the time, wallowing in it, being in a death loop. Uh, And man, that is really, really hard. Either people are like, they throw it back at you, like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you're so insecure, like you drive me crazy. And it's like, okay, that's not gonna be any fun to be around. Mm But at the same time, if they just let you like keep looping, like you're never going to get out of it, it's
0: gnarly. So true. And the, if you're on the receiving end of the wrong behavior or behavior, that's really destructive or not productive, I think that bringing your best to that moment is the greatest form of closure if the relationship ends. Tell me more. You know, we feel, because even when I was saying that before, I could almost hear people go, kind of imagining their worst relationship with someone who was really difficult and toxic or destructive or whatever word someone wants to use for it. And getting angry, like it's not my responsibility to fix this thing in the other person and they should take responsibility for not bringing that behavior. That's all true. All of that is true. But we all know, if we're honest, well, A, we should have a little humility because all of us, you you may not have this thing they're bringing you, but you have something you're gonna bring them. Mm. So when when your something comes up, you're gonna want someone to come to you in a healing way. This is your chance to put that credit in the bank, right? So whether you relate to it or not. But what I would say to those people is, modeling the behavior you would like to see from them a is the greatest way to influence anybody and that starts with listening understanding what's behind it understanding where it's coming from you know i had a moment with with my partner in the beginning of our relationship where i flared up over something and she she used a good language for it she said I had to figure out, is he just an ass? <laughs> or is this something, Is this something deeper that I could learn to navigate and understand about him? And might it just be a sign of a wound, not a sign that he's just an ass? And she had to she, she modeled the right behavior in that moment. She initially, like, jumped yeah. down my throat because she was mad that I was flaring up over this thing but then she took a step back and she tried to actually like understand where it was coming from and what what was going what had happened in my past that made me flare up in that moment and she said it was a moment where i actually endeared you to me because i realized oh he's not he's not an ass he's a like he's hurt mm-hmm. and this this like triggered something for him and i and actually when she brought me kindness in that moment and understanding, I, I eased up. And when you do that and someone starts to ease up and they start to heal, that's a great sign. If they don't, that's also really valuable information. Because you learn nothing by mirroring the behavior. You learn everything from modeling the behavior you want to see and seeing if they can rise to that. And if they can't, you have your answer about where this person is in their evolution as a human being and whether it would be at all wise for you to continue down a path. Because if someone cannot in any way meet you there and there's there's no signs of that happening, then you can make an informed decision. You can say, am I really gonna spend 10 years being this person's therapist in a relationship? Uh, do I have that kind of time? Is there any guarantee that if I did, they would even change? No. Okay, so this might be a terrible, terrible bet to make. Mm. But if I model the right behavior and, and something shifts and it starts to produce a better relationship, well, then that's a huge, huge
1: success. You've got to want them to win, man. It's so interesting. I, I That's so true and so useful. One, that you may not have that same insecurity, but there's gonna be something that you do have that you establish, like how should we respond to each other? Like Lisa and I in in the early days, and I I think I've talked about this before on camera, I'm almost certain, so I have a very long fuse. So it takes a lot to make me angry, but once I get angry, then like I'm in it, and it would, in the beginning of our relationship, it would sometimes be more than 24 hours before I'd calm back down. And so it just always ended up being this catastrophic waste of time. And in the early part of our relationship where I was off working, and so work and relationship were very separated, uh, the weekends were the only time that we were engaging with each other. And if I ended up getting pissed on a Saturday, it was like, man, you basically lost a week. You know what I mean? So it
0: was just like a real catastrophe. I know that feeling intimately. Oh,
1: it's fucking terrible. So I would get mad, let's say, early in the day, and then I wouldn't finally be able to pull myself out of it until later that night or the next day. And then... Never once was I like, you know what? Well done for being mad that long. Like That was a good (laughs) use of time. And so I ended up writing down this letter to myself and I gave it to her to read back to me. And it was like, all this stuff has to be negotiated in the beginning. And so the letter was basically, hey me, it's me you have no ulterior motive, because I always thought Lisa would try to apologize or whatever because she just felt bad that she'd upset me, but that she really was wrong, Mm -hmm. and that there needed to be some sort of recompense. And without that, then the, the injury was not worthy of being forgiven. And because I realized every time you finally emotionally shift out of that space, you wish you had just let it go instantly. And it's only because you have this weird Mm. thing about like, no, 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 she's just apologizing because she's, not because she actually feels bad, but because she just doesn't wanna feel badly about me being annoyed or whatever she did that was wrong. So hey me, it's me. You know you have no ulterior motive. You've never once thought that this was time well spent. So right now, force yourself to laugh out loud because you know that if you laugh out loud, you won't be able to stay angry. You'll shift your neurochemistry and and you'll be able to move past this. And I gave it to Lisa and I said, the next time I get pissed, read this back to me. I won't wanna hear it. I'm gonna be super fucking annoyed <laughs> that you pull this out. But I, I will honor this marriage by laughing out loud. I'm in my sober moment, I'm giving you this thing and I'm oh. committing myself to actually doing it. She only had to read it once. And it was so effective when she pulled out the phone no and she's one. like, hey me, it's me. I have the chills now. And I forced myself, literally, I don't even think she made it through the whole thing. And I laughed out loud, and I was like, I can't believe that worked. But just hearing my words coming back to me, and so it's like this whole thing about, you've gotta want the other person to win, you've gotta give them the keys to the kingdom, you've gotta be like trying to meet them there, right? Like she's in the apology, she was legitimately modeling the behavior that I would want in the reverse, And because I could see that I was falling prey to some weird death loop in my own mind, I was like, okay, this is gonna be the way that you get me out of this. And then not only did it work, it worked so well that I never needed her to read that to me again because I was like, okay, I want her to win. I don't wanna waste the time. I know what it takes to change my own neurochemistry, so why do I need that? And we've come up with other things throughout the times. Like for a while, she carried these love chips. Again, it only ever had to be played once. And then you realize like how effective it is. And it was just like, I want this person to remember that I love them. And that if in the middle of your hurt, because it's like, I don't usually get upset over something dumb. I get upset over something real. Like, hmm. it's the thing that you did really is like, you would reflect on it and be like, yo, I shouldn't have done that. I'm reflecting on it like, yeah, you definitely shouldn't have done that. But I know you love me. Yeah. And because I know how easy it is for me to be the one that does something stupid that I really shouldn't have done and that you would agree I shouldn't have done and all that. Like to have that little thing that you just slide across the table. But you have to agree on all this stuff. You have to talk about it. Yeah. You have to like say here are the rules. I had to say, hey, if you read me this letter, I'm actually going to do it. And then you have to stick to it. There's just so
0: much uh, in what you just said that is valuable, valuable insight the pattern breaking mm. which i've heard you talk about like you have to be you have to be a ninja about pattern breaking yourself right i think you said that in one of your videos no that doubt. like it's essential to understand yourself in those ways and whatever you mechanism you have for breaking that pattern one mechanism is telling your partner so that they know mm. you know and i i i did a similar thing with audrey where i said when i'm in that state because i have a it sounds like you and i have some similarities when i'm in that state i'm not in my right mind Mm -hmm. and i can't i find it really hard to let go and i said to her when i'm when it feels like i'm pushing you away in those moments i'm desperate for you to love me preach dude that's so true desperate for
1: you to love me and to and i need to see like can i push you away and you'll still come back exactly even though it's terrible it's a a really don't have it but
0: and it but it's true and i said like i'm it's gonna feel like i'm being well i am being cold and i'm pushing but trust me there is a child inside that is just so terrified you're not gonna love me that i like i push you away and that understanding is invaluable because of course for her then she knows in those moments oh this isn't about me and it's not mm. and it's not it's not personal and he doesn't not love because the problem is you get into this right crazy cycle where i'm pushing her away and then she goes he doesn't love me right and it's the exact opposite of what's true and and that giving that person the keys to the kingdom as you say is giving the person the understanding of what's really going on so i love that you said that and the you know what you said about the remembering that oh, Lisa loves me so much. If she did something, the the core of her is that she loves me so much. It's not this behavioral thing. It's not this slip up. It's not, it's this. That is like, I call them emotional buttons. I have a retreat program where I do a whole section on this because to me, knowing what your emotional buttons are is the key to life. You You essentially are learning how to program your thoughts and your emotions. And that thought, I know how much Lisa loves me at her core, is an emotional button. I had one that I got from childhood where we were, me, my brothers, and a few friends were all playing in the garden. And I don't even remember what happened, but something upset me so badly Or the way maybe it wasn't even a big thing that upset me, but the way it was reacted to or the way I felt in that moment was so I got in my head so badly about it that I went to my room and sulked and didn't come out. And then it turns out this whole plan was made for like my brothers and my friends to all go to their house to carry on like this really fun day and have a sleepover at my friend's house and but not without me everyone wanted me involved everyone was like knocking on my door going matt like come on let's go like it's going to be super fun and it was so important to me to make a point about this thing and pushing everyone away that i didn't go i told them to leave and i watched the car leave the house from my bedroom window i cannot tell you how much I remember the next day, my brothers came back, and there were stories, and there were all these wonderful things that had happened, and they got excited about the night, and it was such a great sleepover, and I regretted it so badly, and it never, that was such, in the scheme of my life, a really insignificant moment, and yet, I never forgot it, because i it never, the lesson never left me that I cost myself that amazing mm. fun mm. time with, with a shows. bunch of people that love me. With my brothers who are my best friends, with my friends, they all had this wonderful time and no one was against me. No one was trying, it wasn't like they said we're going to go and make this plan without Matt. Everyone was like, Matt, come, it's going to be fun. And I denied myself mm-hmm. that... I've, I've never forgot that. And when I feel, find myself sabotaging myself or something good when I'm upset today, I remember that sleepover. And that becomes an emotional button. A pattern break for me, in the same way that, you know, Lisa loves me, is a pattern break for you. And I think that's such, that those things are really, really powerful. And if you ever find one, for anyone out there who ever finds one of these, write it down. And have it somewhere where it's to hand so that the next time a situation like that occurs, you have a place to go to connect with that truth. Because life is, there's all these truths in, Winston Churchill said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and carry on as if nothing happened. Right? You occasionally stumble over a truth about life, about, about your partner, about your relationship, about yourself. When you get one of those truths, you, like... Write it down somewhere where in your, your moments where you're finding it hard to access truth, you can, you can go there because those things are life-changing mm-hmm. and they plug you back in to, to life itself and what's important.
1: Yeah, that's really critical. There's one thing about me that I think has really helped a lot with my success, which is that I don't trust everything I feel. I recognize myself as a deeply flawed individual that routinely does dumb things. And that may sound negative, but it, it has stopped me from compounding the problems. Mm. And so I remember when you were telling that story, unfortunately for me, that moment came much later in life. Uh, but Lisa and I got in a huge fight. It's the biggest fight we've ever been into this day. And we were yelling at each other over a cup of tea. And the fight had been going on for, it had to be close to two hours and we were on our way to a weekend away and I'm on the freeway and I take the exit. I'm like, we're going back home, this is a waste. There's no point in going on this vacation. And I turn the car around and we start heading back. And as I'm doing that, because the voice in my head was screaming like, why are we fighting? You're gonna regret wasting this time on this. And I turn around and we're headed home and I'm like, stop. There's no way you're this angry over a cup of tea. What are you actually upset about? And in fi- and I literally said, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I can't be this angry about a cup of tea. You can't be this angry about a cup of tea. What are we actually fighting about? And so then I was just like, I'm just gonna say like the raw shit ever, like my most naked, I'm gonna recognize that my motives here are probably petty and that you've triggered an insecurity in me and I need Hmm. to figure out what it is. And so I just started talking and we finally figured out what it was and she figured out what it was for her and we said, we're never gonna argue about the tea again Hmm. and we're always gonna figure out, Like, because unfortunately you get caught up in that micro personality, you said you're not in your right mind, you get in the neurochemical state Hmm. and you really become a different version of yourself. And so I'm like, when we slip into that different version, let's make sure that we identify what we're really fighting about. And so in that, and, and long time listeners will have heard me describe this before, but for anybody who's listening for the first time, so at that time in our lives, we were really poor. And I was working really hard to try to be successful, and I hated my fucking life. And I was just so desperate. I had told her I was gonna make her rich. I told my father-in-law I was gonna make his daughter rich. He did not want me to marry his daughter. He did not think I was going to be successful. And I wasn't. And so like all of my worst nightmares are coming true. My wife is clipping coupons. And so I was just like, you have to let me work all the time. And it's the only way that I'm gonna make good. Like I'm getting emotional now because this isn't just a fucking story. I was like really in it. And remember, I don't know at that time I'm actually gonna be successful. All I know is I've taken her from a a much easier life and I've made things really hard for her. Hmm. And I'm in a dark place and I finally agree to take a weekend away and like go travel. And so I'm like, we can't afford a hotel, but we're gonna get a hotel and I'm doing this for you. And I'm freaking out and I think that if I don't end up being successful, you're not gonna love me. So there's like a lot on the fucking line. But I haven't said any of this out loud. I'm not even aware of it myself, right? I haven't like put all this together. I just know, I wake up, I'm ready to go. They're going to let us into the room at like one o'clock or whatever. So I want to make sure we are there. So we get every penny out of this hotel room. I have not said any of this. I wake up. My wife is thinking, "Oh my God, time is her, quality time is her love language. He's finally taking time for me. We're gonna have this special weekend away and I wanna start it slow and have a cup of tea and just have him sit with me and like we can just like sink in and like really be with each other. And so I'm like, what are you doing? You're having a cup of tea? Like the the car's packed, let's go. And she's like, but I wanna have a cup of tea. Now what she meant was I wanna be with you and what I meant was I'm trying to serve you and make good on my promises. And for me to spend money and take time away from taking care of you is, is like, it's like breaking the promise I made to to keep you alive. And so all of this collides over a fucking cup of tea. And so now once we finally said those things, I was like, oh my God, like seeing it from your perspective, I totally get it. I to honor you, which is what I'm trying to do by building a business and getting wealthy and all that is to honor you and honor my promises, I should have just sat while you had the cup of tea. And we could have started this all out and and it have been amazing. But I I wasn't putting it together in my own mind and I certainly wasn't articulating it to you and vice versa, right? And so now we're like, we'll catch ourselves 20 minutes into an argument. We're arguing about the tea. Like, what's really going on here? Because I have just learned one truth. If you're in a fight, someone has triggered your insecurities, period. There's no alternative. There's no other like, oh, this was actually really about this thing. No, no, no. You're insecure about something. And once you can figure out what you're actually insecure about, then you can have the real conversation. But until then, dude, you're gonna loop. That is one of the most
0: powerful and one of my favorite relationship stories I've
1: ever heard. It certainly changed our lives, but man, in the moment, it was ugly and I felt really stupid. But it's so,
0: I mean, I I commend you for, for sharing it and being vulnerable enough to do that because I think that you, with that one story, you're helping so many people because it's the cup of tea is what makes these things feel so shameful and embarrassing to talk about to everyone outside of the car, is that it feels absurd. And, and that's what it feels like in real relationships, is the, the arguments we have feel so intensely private because they feel so intensely, we feel so naked and so exposed. And all of us guys who go out into our lives with this kind of alpha energy and putting on a front and being a certain thing with all of our friends are so stripped bare by those arguments. Mm. And you know, I, I, I think the, what everyone, I hope everyone hears in that story is that you decided to stop the car. That to me is like the heroic moment of the story is that you stopped the car and that is a choice. And I don't know where that comes from in you, but you stop the car. There's a moment, I don't know if you ever got into the the American version of The Office, but no. there was a moment where Jim and Pam, one of the great kind of love stories of the show, he, um, he sat at a bar with her ex, and her ex is kind of a, a brute, and she's off in another town studying, and they're apart, and they're doing long distance, and they've not been used to doing that, and, they're finding their feet with it, and she gets a voicemail, like, she, he gets a voicemail from her because she's out super late, and she gets, he gets kind of like, I think, a drunken voicemail. And there's a guy in the background, and, you know, the, the guy, the ex, who is the quintessential territorial kind of caveman, stand your ground, don't put up with that nonsense, get jealous kind of a guy. He gets in his, he gets in Jim's head and he says, you're okay with that? And Jim has never been like that. He's never fretted about that kind of thing with her. But the ex gets in her head and says, "Uh, that would, that would worry me. I, I don't know if I'd be okay with that if she was out that late and, you know, with these new friends of hers. And Jim gets in the car and he starts driving an hour to where she is to try and see what she might be up to that night and catch her in something and he gets on the freeway and he catches himself and he says he He stopped, he, he grabs the wheel and he turns the car around and he says you know what no because that is not our relationship and i am not that guy and he makes a decision, The he does the hard thing. He interrupts this trajectory that is gonna inevitably lead to broken trust in their relationship. That she's not gonna feel trusted, they're gonna have a fight, they're gonna have some kind of a breakdown. And he decided that's not gonna be us. That moment is the most heroic moment anyone can have in a relationship. And. It might seem from the outside like that wasn't such a big deal. It wasn't such a big deal to stop the car. And ha- but when you're in it on that level, it's the most difficult thing in the world. And the thing I say to people a lot is when you're in that territory, maybe you maybe you haven't found it in you to stop the car yet. Maybe you haven't got there. Maybe like you just can't. But find the inches find the 1% shift if if you're in an argument and you're seething but you reach out your hand and you just you might just put it next to their hand you might just for two seconds like just stroke their hand and then you put your hand back and maybe just 1% You haven't said anything to rectify the situation, you haven't, but that 1% registered with them. And they're mad at you. But they felt your hand for one second and what they really felt was humility. What they really felt was an act of vulnerability. What they really felt was this person, just for that one second, is reaching out to me and dropping their pride just a little bit. Maybe just enough for me to reach my hand back and grab their little finger, you know? And in that dance of one percents, it actually begins this snowball effect out of the situation. And I think that things don't change because no one makes that one percent. They're so preoccupied with how hard it would be to turn it around that they don't, even if they don't know their way through it, they don't do that one thing that would soften the other person enough for them to do a gentler thing and so on and so on and so on. What's awesome is you didn't do, just do that, you stopped the car.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's terrifyingly good advice. Like the, the little hand outreach, the reminder that you love somebody, it's really interesting. One, it is very hard to do in those moments. But it really goes a long way. And I worry that part of why I have been successful in relationships, I think this is the same for you, but I don't want to paint you with this brush if, if you don't think that it feels right, but is that I am on the sort of um, male female spectrum. I definitely have like a lot of female feminine energy, but that served me really well. Like, you write for Cosmo magazine or have? I used to, years okay. ago, yeah. So I have many, many times uh, said that part of the reason that I ended up getting good at relationships is when I was a teenager and I was terrible with women, people always used to joke that men didn't understand women. So I used to go read Cosmo magazine as mm. a way to like better understand them. Hmm. And I think it's actually really, really smart. Like, the more that you can find those ways to reach out, to break down those barriers, to be communicative, to be emotive, to um, identify your own insecurities, to articulate them, all things that are technically like not the sort of brutish masculine thing. Now, I think, to something we haven't talked about here but I've heard you speak very eloquently about, you also need to be able to be tough and masculine and all that stuff, but if you can do both, if you can be soft in that moment instead of trying to win the argument, especially, and in fact, here here is, really your own test, If it, how do you act when you know you're right? Like you've got them dead to rights. <laughs> you've caught them out. It's obvious in that moment they're wrong and you're right. In that moment, are you dunking on them? Or are you like, because the way I think about it is, oh my God, I know in the next breath, I might be the one that we both realize is wrong. So. In this moment, I'm deposit, 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 <laughs> because I don't want to like, you yeah. know, get caught out. Like, I want the grace the next time, and in those moments, if you can be that gentler, outreaching hand to, again, to want them to win, to help them back, to not be like, oh, I told you, mm-hmm. and it's like, give them that grace and help them find the exit ramp, Man, like when I think about what really has made Lisa and I stand the test of time, because it certainly isn't that we're perfect, it certainly isn't that we don't do dumb things or um, get petty or be insecure, it's that we're always trying to, and this really goes back, I've, n- I've never heard anybody say it the way you said it earlier, like how do they help you deal with something that when you're insecure or whatever? But man, if you can really be artful in that moment, and not try to bank the win Mm. but instead bank the grace that goes a long way
0: and i think it's very well said tom and i think that that is for me at least born out of humility it's born out of exactly what you said i don't know when it's going to be my turn and i look hopefully we've been as life goes on we we suffer enough and we go through enough pain and we get punched in the face enough that we come to have a little humility we come to realize that that we all make mistakes that there are things that we have found incredibly difficult to shake with the person you're with understand that it is as hard for them to shake that thing you don't like that they do as it is for you to shake that thing in you that you've spent your whole life trying to stop doing and can't do you know it it's you know someone might say i really frustrated with my part the way my partner relates to alcohol but it might be and i'm not said i'm this isn't an excuse uh excusing someone And, and and it's divorced from the kind of actual kind of Effects on a relationship that something is having, but just in theory, how difficult they find it to give up that glass of wine that they have every night that bothers you, or that couple of glasses of wine that bothers you every night, it's as difficult for you to give up being a workaholic. Mm. Like, they're all part of an addiction spectrum, and our partner is addicted to certain behaviors that make it really tough for them to change. And we're addicted to certain things that make it really hard for us to change. Now, that means it's probably good sense not to have a relationship with someone where your addictions make you so immediately incompatible that you're gonna make each other miserable on a really long timeline. But it does mean that in other areas where maybe the two of you aren't, aren't actually that far off you've got similar values you have a similar outlook on life at your core you have the same heart but you're different it allows more grace in those situations and perhaps can get us a little bit i i you know you and i were talking earlier about just youtube and how you title certain things for youtube because it helps and one of the pitfalls of my line of work is that people love hearing about red flags and so anytime you title something with red flags in it people people want to watch that but the problem with that is that people get addicted to looking for red
1: flags Mm. i was going to ask do you think that they're worried they're seeing them are they looking for a justification to get out like why is red flags so popular i think that it
0: speaks to some part of us that a is playing detective with what's going to go wrong Mm. and we want to. No, you know, we, we love like, what? how do I know that this thing they just did is actually a sign that they're going to ruin my life? I want to know that now. But it also, there's something cathartic about it for situations that have already happened for us. Hmm. If I know someone did a lot of damage to me, there's something about a red flags video that is appealing just from a retrospective point of view. See? There was that thing, and if I'd have seen that, you know, I I now know that was a giant red flag and, you know, I get to voice that thing. Um, But the danger, of course, of becoming obsessed with looking for red flags is that you will find them in everything. Me flaring up at the beginning of our relationship over something, she could have easily watched one of my videos and gone, that's a red flag. (laughs) Like, this is a giant red flag. I don't know. I don't know about this you know she could have had a conversation with her friends and gone this is a red you know you know no no that's a red flag you you know we all have red flags on some level we all have something because we're all bringing baggage to the table but there's worse red flags than others
1: yeah no doubt yeah that's really interesting that um the the i'm curious if i could look at your stats if is your audience more female or male? More female. Okay, so. More
0: growing male audience over the, over the years. Uh, we now have a good kind of sizable male contingent, but, but
1: still predominantly female. Cause when you say that it's more of a detective thing, um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the difference between men and women. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, cause I'm obsessed with this and I got obsessed with it too. So the human brain is a prediction machine. So the, and it began with really uh, beginning to be able to predict the body and what would move you towards food and all of that, but it's become, uh, not only are we predicting limbs and where they are in space, and there's some fascinating new research about that, but especially when it comes to women, it becomes, um, sorry, before I get to the, the part about women, just you, to successfully stay alive, you have to be able to accurately predict. So it is incredibly deeply ingrained in us. Now, when you start looking at the sexes for men, getting someone um, pregnant and making sure that you pass your genes on mm-hmm. is a very low uh, effort endeavor. But for a woman, it's incredibly expensive. And so men are looking for signs of fertility and women are looking for, is this gonna be a good investment? Are they gonna be here for the long haul? Mm-hmm. And so it puts them more in a like, I have to be a detective and I have to suss this out. and it's become bizarrely taboo to talk about the differences between men and women, which I find utterly Mm. strange, because your brain is a predictive machine and you should want anything that helps you make better predictions. And so I became obsessed with this when I couldn't get a girlfriend in the beginning. So I'm like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Like it just, I could not predict how Behavior A on a date would lead to the mm-hmm. outcome that I wanted and so I started like really going down that rabbit hole And then because back in the I would have gotten good at this right at the end of the 90s beginning of the 2000s mm-hmm. And so nah, it wasn't weird at that time to be like oh women are like this men are like this men are from mm-hmm. Mars women are from Venus right right and so as I've watched it become taboo, I'm like, yo, 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 don't let this become a taboo thing. You are fucking yourselves up because if you don't recognize, and look, I'm, these are broad strokes, and so. of course, as somebody who admits that I have um, a lot of feminine energy, like 100%, I think guys can, you don't have to be a woman to have those intuitions or whatever, but once you understand the broad strokes, you can predict things a lot better. What are some things that you see and i'll be curious to see like if this makes you uncomfortable feel like oh no like this is how it is uh what are some broad strokes that you've seen that are different between men and women look i consider myself uh an empiricist wisely so i and for those that don't know what an empiricist is uh, a, a rationalist says
0: you know x equals x plus y equals z and and that's the the model that's the theory and therefore that's what happens and, and an empiricist says okay that's the that's the rationalist viewpoint that's the assertion let me hammer that out against the the anvil of my experience of mm-hmm. uh, of what i've noticed what i've seen the people i the know yeah, like, what is, what's the story in my own life? Does that feel true? Um, I was on a show a number of years back where um, I was on a panel with a, another man and a woman. And the concept of first date sex came up. and they were talking, the kind of subject matter was, should you have sex on a first date? And somehow I think it got onto differences between men and women. Now look, I don't have any, I don't care who has sex on a first date. As long as you, you know, be safe, don't put yourself in an unsafe situation. And we all know, by the way, there's a difference immediately. a, A man going home with a woman we know is, not, is safer than women going home with a man because there's a size difference. Mm. So we already know, none, none of us could claim that it doesn't feel like there's a safety issue on one side that's not quite the same on the other. So there's a, there's a difference already there. But I was also saying that from, I, I'm not speaking from me as a man, I'm speaking from 15 years of of working with women in this area and answering their questions that and I've worked with men too it's more often the case amongst the women that come to me that they regret having slept with someone too quickly Mm -hmm. than it is for men to come to me saying the same thing that already is suggestive of a difference and so I made this point in the context of first date sex was kind of it's kind of a know yourself argument no you know if you know you're going to you you have a kind of tendency to feel used after that, then you have to know yourself well enough not to do something that is gonna make you feel bad at the end of it. Um, But it was an interesting, it was a bit like, it felt like empirical meeting rational because the guy that I was with flared up and said, this is slut shaming. How dare you, this is, and I said, i'm not talking from i'm not talking about what you what's right and wrong Mm. i'm saying from everyone i've coached that there's a decent amount of regret amongst people at having slept with someone too quickly that i get as stories from women and it couldn't he couldn't get his mind out of that it became a really combative Mm. issue that led to a kind of early ending to the show it Whoa. was that bad but the woman on the panel said i actually completely understand and agree with what matthew is saying like this absolutely makes sense to me from my experience as a woman like i said i wasn't speaking from the experience of a man i was speaking from the ex- mm. literally re- repeating what has been said to me ad nauseum for years wasn't saying it was wrong i was saying you have to weigh up for yourself what what that makes you feel afterwards. the biggest area that I see a difference that is really really destructive is in the issue of the biological clock mm-hmm. because m- my work I have dealt with so many I mean to give people a for those that are just meeting me today through this show to give people a scale I'm I'm not talking thousands of people, I'm talking millions of people over 15 years and hundreds of thousands live in my tours and events and retreats. I have dealt with so many hundreds of thousands of women who are in their 30s who have reached a point where this life goal they have um, is coming into question and like a career goal kind of thing the life goal of having a family having children i see and and they are now starting to as any of us do as you did with lisa where there was a life goal you had of being able to provide and protect and and give her the life that you wanted to give that you wanted to provide you there was an anxiety about that there was a, a sense of oh my god what if this what if i can't do this what if it doesn't happen and That is what I experience in so many women that come to me who really want a family and are finding that there is a kind of anxiety that creeps in, that turns into panic at a certain point for a lot of people. And then, of course, grief if it doesn't happen, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that then can invade their dating lives. And so it's a really, it's a key difference that I've tried to actually level the playing field on in my work, to give women their power back. Well, firstly, I think we live in a world today and look, these things cost money, but we live in a world today where people can actually decide to go a different direction or they could decide to freeze their eggs or they can decide to have a baby on their own. But I'm a big believer in, you have to be willing to take your power back. And that means asking yourself some really difficult questions. Like if it comes down to it and I have a choice between the, um traditional not having kids but having a partner or having a child but doing it on my own which is more important to me because at some point you're going to have to make that decision or run out the clock with someone who doesn't want the same thing as you Mm -hmm. and resent them forever and grieve it but you have to be honest with yourself this is self-awareness and and talk about difficult conversations you have to have a really difficult conversation with yourself and say, is, how essential is this to my being? If it is truly something that, if it doesn't happen for me, I will, there will always be something crucial that's missed from my life, then you have to have a plan B that becomes your plan A mm. if it doesn't work out the way that you hoped it would. Maybe you did want to meet the love of your life who was also ready to have children and have children on a reasonable timeline. Maybe you did want that. But is having children important enough for you to do on your own if you don't get that? That doesn't mean that that will happen, but can you you get on board with that plan B now as if it was already plan A? And if you can, wonderful you're free you can either freeze your eggs so that you're ready when the time comes i'm going to do that or you can decide if i don't have it with somebody else by a certain date i am going to do this on my own you can have a plan and i i would suggest to everybody have a plan just know what you're going to do because then you can go right i know that's what i'm going to do if it comes to it and i'm not I, I get there will be people who say you don't understand how hard being a single mother is. You don't, and you're right, I don't. But I know the grieving that women experience in this area because I have been face-to-face with it for 15 years of my life. So I know the pain on the other side of it. So I, and I also know that there are many, many women who are, are more... Willing to endure the difficulty of being a single mother than to not have children. I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm saying know yourself. And then when you've decided all of that, go date. Because mm-hmm. now, you now you're free. Now you're not going on to a date from an I need you perspective, which is the worst possible place you can go to a date from is I'm getting on a date with you and you already hold all of the cards because I desperately need what you have. And I need you for this and I can't, and so already I'm thinking, do you, are you gonna screw me over? Are you gonna waste my time? Are you gonna be someone who wants this? Are you gonna, are you lying? I'm already in that place and I'm already, you didn't text me for five days. Where are you? Why, why didn't you text me for five days? No more because- That sounds fun. You, right? <laughs> Because you hold all of the cards, and I'm now I'm commu- people know when they hold, hold all of the cards. People can feel it, and so when you when you ask me, and it may have been I don't know a, a deeper answer than perhaps you thought, you know, and and there are maybe superficial differences between men and women in dating, but on the deepest level, what creates the greatest power imbalance in my eyes is that one thing. And I have spent my career trying, in my own modest way, to help women rediscover their power in that area and their autonomy and their independence so that they can date to date, so that they can fall in love to fall in love, so that they can experience a relationship organically Instead of going with this enormous um, insecurity from the very beginning that you're not in a rush in the way that I'm in a rush. And I'm going to kind of try and hide the fact that I feel that, but I do feel it. And so it's always a presence in the room that I need you more than you need me. And it always comes across and it comes across in really insidious ways. Like you just did something I didn't like but I don't mention it because I don't want to rock the boat. You just treated me a bit disrespectfully. You just broke a standard of mine, but I don't want to enforce that standard. I might even speak up about it, but if you do it again, I'm not going to enforce it because ultimately you have something I really, really want and and I'm willing to to break my own boundaries and disrespect myself in order to have a shot at having it. That is it becomes death by a thousand cuts, and I've watched it over and over and over again, and that is a really hard thing. It's understandably hard for men to understand until they find themselves in a position like that themselves where they don't feel like they're the ones in control, like they don't feel like they're the ones in power, which sometimes happens when an older guy dates a much younger woman, and suddenly he gets a sense, maybe not the same, but he gets a sense of what it feels like
1: to to be on the other side of that equation. I mean, that's an amazing answer to the question. I find this so endlessly fascinating and I find it fascinating because it's so important to your ability to predict. So I think it is really important that people understand that they're having a biological experience And by that I mean that you're gonna view life in certain ways if you're a guy and have that hormonal profile. And you're gonna view things a certain way if you're a woman and have that hormonal profile. And that it is, there are some really predictable things that are going to happen. Now these are broad strokes, not everybody's gonna go through it. In fact, everybody is gonna have a different journey. But when you take them on mass, like there's some pretty predictable things. my level of ambition. Like if you were to describe me on paper and then ask people, is this a man or a woman, people would be like, it's a guy. Like 100%, (laughs) that hard driving. Now, you would only be right, let's say 70% of the time because there are plenty of women that match my profile, but there's a lot more guys. So you'd definitely be better off guessing that it's a guy. If you said the story that you just told, you know, somebody, they're in their 30s, they're starting to have a lot of anxiety about not having a family, And you laid out literally what you just walked us through and said, Is this a man or a woman? Like, hey, 70% of the time or more, you're gonna be right that that's a woman. There's gonna be plenty of guys that fall into that, but you're better off. And so, all of that stuff to me is like really interesting. I wanna know what are the things about being a guy that I can predict, like, so that I can either steer myself well, not fall prey to it, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, for instance, I really wanna have kids, but the only thing that I want more than I want to have kids is to not have kids because I'm so into (laughs) my ambition and what I'm trying to build and all of that. But going into it, because I'm so eyes wide open, I'm like, I know when I'm 80, I'm gonna regret not having kids. Mm. So to your point, like, hey, would you still have kids even if you knew you are gonna be a single mother? Like work that out now. If that becomes plan A, like Mm. are you still gonna be okay with it? If you are, there's a certain level of freedom. It's like, it's important to have walked through that thought exercise.
0: Christopher Hitchens um, once said, you, in life, you have to choose your regrets. Whoa. He's an interesting guy, but that really hit me. It, um, and there, there is so much truth to that. What you're really saying is you're already anticipating. I am going to regret not having kids, but there is a bigger regret that I am avoiding in doing that and you've made peace with that and that's actually a really really self-aware thing to do what I'm suggesting with women and and, you know again I want to stress to everyone I don't presume to understand the female uh, predicament and what women go through internally but I've seen I've seen so much pain in my career and in what I've done I've been up close to it enough to have a almost a, a visceral response when I see people disempowering themselves mm. because I, you know, I know what's coming. I know, I know the pain that is coming for them five years or 10 years or 15 years from now if they don't ask themselves the difficult questions. That becomes another choose your regret moment. What am I gonna regret more? You know, uh, being in a relationship and um, waiting uh, to see if someone comes around even though they say they don't want it um, and then never having them or having them and, and having them with a couple of years to spare so that I, you know, even if it's on my own, so that I don't run the risk that the, the clock runs out. But I also have these children. I just don't have it exactly the way that I thought maybe I would one day uh, earlier in my life. There will be a regret either way, but which is the more powerful is very, very, it forces really honest questions. And there are questions that most of us want to hide until the last possible minute, because it just feels too painful. But the, but the pain is, the pain is coming. You know, I, I, I always think of, uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but I kind of think of this, in, uh, there are certain areas of our life where it feels like this cliff edge is rushing towards us, and we, don't, we just want to ignore it. But at some point, we're going off the cliff, And I, you know, there are areas in in my life where I've sort of gone off the cliff and wished that I had anticipated it sooner or or, or more than that. I wished I had acted on what I did anticipate, Mm. which is which is even more creates even more self-loathing, doesn't it? When you did anticipate it and you didn't do anything. Um, And so I, I kind of become fascinated with what has to happen for us today to somehow get the experience of going off the cliff today while it's just a phantom mm. version of it
1: so that you i don't have any actually good answers have to, on that like how do you compel yourself like there's always enough confusion i find i think this is what's going to happen but i'm not 100 percent sure yeah. and there's enough friction yeah. i i think that you look for the areas of your life where you're pretending that
0: it's a question mark and it's a foregone conclusion whoa you know if there's someone in your life that has repeatedly offended you know has just every time you give them another chance they do the same bad thing and they they lie they cheat they you know they let you down they disappoint you and it this is a predictable pattern and every time you make up it's because you decided to make up it's because you decided to make allowances and give them another chance it's not because they changed um well then the the question mark that may uh, you know sooner or later in a relationship like that there's a cliff edge coming it's gonna this person's gonna wreak havoc in your life now it could be that the thing they do gets so bad that it becomes cataclysmic in your life and just causes immense destruction and a lot of people feel that when when they are with a true kind of narcissist Mm there's usually kind of a moment in their life where it, it becomes so destructive that there's no option but to leave. Um, and sometimes the, the cliff edge is just realizing your life is gone and, and nothing changed. But you have to look at those situations and go, on what evidence does this remain a question mark for me? What is it I'm actually using to justify the idea that this person may still change? It becomes just a, it becomes a, a rationalist, not an empirical perspective. A rationalist perspective is, yes, of course, they could. <laughs> they could. But empirically, everything I've ever learned about this person and the way they are suggests they they won't. And they can't. Um, now... 99 times out of 100, and again, you, the, the, your, the example could be used in all sorts of things, not just people, but to talk people for a moment. If you said, well, one in 100 people like that does change. Okay, that's true. But um, how many lives do you get to try? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, someone once said to me, and, and I was talking at the time, it was kind of regarding... It was years ago when there was someone that I was thinking of letting go. And I said, they might, they might do better. And, and someone who was advising me at the time said, how many times out of a hundred do you find someone genuinely has just this massive turnaround? And I said, I don't know, but it's not many. Ten, one, I'm not sure. He said, I'd rather lose the 90. (laughs) Than stake my business on the one that might change or the 10 that might change. I'd rather lose the 90 and keep moving. And you can apply that to all relationships. And, and you should, because you don't get 100 lives, you get one, at least as far as I know. So uh, your time is not replaceable. There's a, there's a to, to use another Hitchens example, when he was talking about global warming, he said, you may or may not believe in global warming, but it makes sense to act as if it's mm. happening because we don't get another one. We don't, we don't get another world. So if, we're, if we don't think it's happening and we're wrong, we don't get another chance to run the experiment. Um, and you could say that about life itself, that you don't, you know, when you're looking at a situation in your life that's not changing or someone that's not changing and yet you keep staking your life on them, Um, you have to ask yourself, what are the stakes of getting it wrong? Because I don't think you get another one. Well
1: said. I want to go back to women and kids. It's something I've thought a lot about in my own life. Mm. Why do you think that so many women regret having kids and do men regret not having kids? And if you had to put on a stone tablet your advice like how do you think about it and no one right path is right for everybody i understand that a thousandfold but if we had to like what do i think on whether people should or not yeah i'm oh
0: god this is this
1: chair goes back
0: <laughs> this is not a time to recline this is a time to sit forward i i'm not qualified to answer this question but i will
1: i will why say why not is that you're just you've been in the public eye long enough you know to caveat caveat? <laughs> or because I'll, I'll give you my like bold thing that'll just piss it's people off. It's such out. a great response. I'm perfectly happy. I,
0: I. So, firstly, as far as why so many people regret having kids, I think I would struggle to answer that. Um, I would struggle to answer that. Only. You know, perhaps. I would reason on some level that culture tells us, society tells us we're going to feel all of these things when that happens. You think happens. that
1: more than biology going, hey, numbnuts, have kids because oh, well, perhaps, that's what you're programmed to perhaps,
0: do. Perhaps, perhaps.
1: Like at a DNA level, mm. I think it is, the DNA yeah, is just screaming out all, to although have Although I don't
0: know that the DNA would um, be responsible for, the biology would be responsible for us thinking that it would be wonderful all the time or that it would be easy or that it would be easier than it ends up being I don't know if if biology would be responsible for that but I do think that there's a lot of rhetoric out there about the wonders of having children that convinces a lot of people that maybe it would be for them and and perhaps a lot of people get there and find that it's not it's not a uh it doesn't save you any more than anything else will. Any more than getting married will save you from a difficult relationship uh, or improve a difficult relationship. Uh, having kids doesn't take away any of the, the problems of life. I'm sure it multiplies them as much as it also multiplies the joys. Um, and um, it's some a lot of people do seem to resent how much their life changes as a result of it. Um, That's sort of true of anything, isn't it? I mean, our our life changes if we start a business. Mm -hmm. Our life changes if we get sick. Our you know our life changes (coughs) with everything. I, I suppose what people regret a lot about having kids is they may at one point have seen it as a voluntary action and that they could have avoided. (coughs) My, you know, I saw uh, Jordan Peterson talking about children having children. And he <laughs> yeah. said, I I think he, he basically said, I think it's, he did actually say, I think word for word, I I think it's impossible for anyone to truly grow up unless they have children, which I thought was a really bold statement. Um, but he also said, he, he basically made the case that everyone should do it. You know, it's, it, it is you fundamentally are missing out on the best experience you should do it um, I can't sp- I can't speak to whether that's true or not I know that I've wrestled selfishly kind of with the with my own selfishness and my own feeling of wanting my life to stay the same and um, but I also I can't help but be I can't help but feel that pull of what everyone says about the before and after of it. And I wonder, I wonder if when I have kids, because it, providing everything goes well, it, it, it is a when for us. I I wonder if I will have that feeling of I should have done it sooner. I don't know That's if I, I will or not, I, uh, but I I wonder if all of this delaying is kind of me holding on to something that once I don't have it anymore or once I have children, I just go, what? I'm, I was so dramatic. I and wonder n- if I'll feel that.
1: guarantees it a hundred percent. So I definitely at the risk of being a rationalist here because I haven't done it. So I haven't run both experiments. So I can't say, uh, but I, there's probably data that we can look at. Um, but here is my strongest hypothesis. I, So, again, my big thing is you're having a biological experience. Nature is designed to ensure that you have kids that have kids. Like, that's its job. Mm -hmm. And knowing the levers that nature has to pull, just as a woman that gives birth will forget just how psychotically painful it is and want to have another kid, I think that there's a reason that people... like So, Thomas Sowell, brilliant economist who just has a line that everybody should live by. There is no utopia, there are only trade-offs. So having kids is not a utopia, Mm. it's a trade-off. So you're gonna pick your trade-off the same way that you're gonna pick your regrets. But the reason that I think that the highest risk strategy that you can run is to not have kids. I think that's high risk. I think for most people it will end up being the wrong answer. Now that's Mm. somebody who chose that path. But I chose it looking at it and going whoa, I think this is actually gonna be a really high risk strategy. The reason that I think that is when I just look at the, the biology of the situation, we all have a hunger for fulfillment. I think it's the deepest drive that humans have. Full stop, period, that's it. Mm. Because that is the thing that nature has leveraged to make sure that you do the thing that it wants. So nature is gonna leverage fulfillment to get you to do two things. One, to get you to do really hard things. Mm -hmm. So doing really hard things that serve not only yourself but the group, right, Mm because humans as a species, we've chosen a group strategy. So I'm gonna be compelled by my DNA Mm. to do really hard things, to go out, face a saber-toothed tiger, to make sure that I get food and all of that and bring it back to the tribe. So I've got to have like a really deep reward for doing that and a really deep emotional punishment for being lazy. And if I don't have that, then I would never go out and do those things that serve the group and make sure that genes survive. Cool, so that's high risk number one. The reason it's high risk, again, is the other way that nature uses fulfillment is that you have to have meaning and purpose. And fulfilling meaning and purpose through work is very difficult. You can do it, I'm Mm -hmm. living proof of that but you're doing it in a way with basically people that aren't your kin, they're not your family, they're detached from you, they've got their own wants and hopes and dreams and all of that. And so keeping them together and moving towards something in a way that feels good, that I'm connected to a tribe of people and all that, real tough when it's not your kin because there's just Mm -hmm. extra juice when it's your family. Think about it, if you had uh, a father that beat you you still feel like some really deep connection. If I met a kid when I was seven that was beating me, I'd fuck that guy, like I'd never, like get them out of my life, don't wanna think about them. I would laugh if somebody was like, no, you should still have a relationship. Right? But you see people still have relationships with the most abusive parents, which I give as an example only that nature has a fucking grip on you that I don't think people are really fully acknowledging, so I'm like, okay, Fulfillment, from that perspective, the most obvious is kids. The second you have them, you're like, oh my God, like how, I can't believe for even a second I thought about not having kids, like Mm. this is crazy, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Like how many people, smart people, incredible people, accomplished people, have to pull you aside and say, nothing you do in life will ever be as potent as having children, nothing. The number of people that pulled me aside and were like, Mm -hmm. homie, I don't care what you dedicate your life to, nothing measures up to my kids. So my thing is, okay, cool. I took all of that on board. I was like, that shit is real as real gets. I'm not discounting it, nothing. So I know I'm gonna need fulfillment, and I know I'm gonna need to serve the group. If I don't do those two things, like I'm gonna be fucked. So the reason that I think most people should have kids is because it is ready-made meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. You will get the neurochemical reward of like, oh my God, that I have, I have kids, this is incredible, it gives you this sense also that something is gonna live beyond you, and I'm just enough older than you that I will tell you one thing that is coming for every single human being on planet Earth is a sense of like, oh shit, I'm gonna tap out. This is not forever, mm-hmm. and I really want something to live beyond me. Now, you can trick yourself into believing that your YouTube videos are gonna live beyond you, that your book is gonna live beyond you, and that will give you a ton of solace. I don't think it will match feeling like your kids are gonna live beyond you, but like, I don't know who my grandfather was on my dad's side. I knew my grandfather a little bit on my mom's side. My, gran- my great-grandfather on both sides, I have no fucking idea, none. So if they were hoping that there was some sense of them that was gonna live on in me, I guess genetically, <laughs> They'd be disappointed. but yeah, yeah. N- none of us, I think it's three generations, right? <laughs> right, right you right. cannot hope that your name. And I couldn't agree more on
0: that argument. I think we're all uh, much more forgettable than we ever want to admit. We're, we're not remembered for very long for our presence here. You imagine the, the most, I always think, name me 10, huge celebrities from the 50s yep and it's not easy
1: (laughs) name 10 from the 1800s so what chance do
0: we have you know and and so i agree with that argument why don't you want them then what what is the reason
1: remember i think that this is a very high risk strategy Mm -hmm. but here for me i am very good at relationships so my marriage is fucking awesome. And what I get out of that marriage is insane. And it makes all of the other risks seem manageable. So the one thing that scares me is the death of my wife, because if that happens, I will have chosen poorly. I'll just be honest with myself right now. So I get so much out of my marriage that I don't find myself wanting. So every time I thought about having kids, I was like, if you have kids and they're not your number one priority, you're doing something wrong. But at the same time, your kids are gonna leave you. And I remember my mom, when I was a kid, I would say like, who's like more important to you? Dad or us kids? And she would say, your dad, because you guys are gonna leave. If I've done my job well as your mother, you will go be autonomous beings at some point. And my mom almost literally had to kick me out of the nest it's the greatest gift she's ever given me and utterly fascinating because every day since then she tried to get me to come back. But, <laughs> like, really, really give her a lot of credit for that. And, but she got divorced. And so I can only imagine the devastation mm-hmm. of saying, your father is more important to me mm-hmm. even than you kids. My mom was amazing as a mother. But nonetheless, had even more eggs in the father basket and they end up getting divorced. Now, from a biological perspective, that shit is so predictable as to be funny which is why I would really love to see, like really, really, nobody knows like the actual stat of like, forget marriage certificates, of people that have committed their lives to each other for more than say five years. How many of those relationships break up? Homie, I'm gonna guess it's 80%. It's gotta be ridiculously high. And so when we look at that, like there are just components, like when a woman goes through menopause, Forget it, She is gonna look at you so differently. Like when her kids are gone, she's gone through menopause and she's like, why have I been cleaning up after your ass for so many years? Like to ju- you have to acknowledge that this stuff changes and that it becomes its own personality. To Jordan Peterson's point again about micro personalities, but these become macro personalities. Like when I think about how obsessed I was with sex in my 20s, I would, the 25 year old me that was you know, recently married to Lisa would laugh If he heard that I have a rule Monday through Friday, if I'm awake, I'm either working or working out, he'd be like, you must be joking. That means you're not having sex during the week. Get the fuck out of here, future me. You have ruined my life. But as my hormonal profile has changed, it's just not as all-consuming, right? It's still super important to me on the weekends. I still think that people absolutely, if you're not having sex weekly, you are really in trouble. And I'm talking like you could be 85. Like you just need that physical relationship for your marriage to thrive. But nonetheless, like you change over time. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that about myself is incredibly important. Understanding how things are gonna change is incredibly important. So the reason that, to bring it back to the question, the reason that I didn't have kids, I'm getting a tremendous out of my marriage, I know how to manage that relationship to make sure that it's incredibly rewarding, and my ambitions in business border on mental illness, not a justification, it mm-hmm. just really is who I am, and so either I need to go in and like do the deep work of unwinding all of that so that I'm no longer getting my meaning and purpose from my work, because I learned very early in my business relationships that I needed to build a business and generate wealth out of helping other people and doing awesome things for other people. So now, the harder I work, the more that I'm improving people's lives. And as I'm sure you know, I get comments every fucking day like, you've changed my life. If it wasn't for you, I would have committed suicide, like yeah. day in and day out. So I'm like, when I'm busting my ass this hard, but I'm getting this tremendous echo back from people that what you're doing matters in my life. Okay. So, All of that, and then right in those peaks, sort of early 30 years, I was on the cusp of like, this is actually starting to work. And so now I'm like moving up in life and like things are really working and it's clicking and I'm building wealth and like, oh shit. So I'm getting all this fulfillment. I'm no longer chasing money. I'm trying to add value to people's lives, but it's also like coming back to me in the form of money. My marriage is fucking incredible. My sex life is insane. And I'm like thinking about having kids and I'm like, yo, I really want this but I don't want the things that are working to change. And so I'm like, okay, there's no utopia, only trade-offs. And I'm like, be honest with yourself. When you're on your deathbed, are you gonna regret not having kids? And I was like, 1,000%. And so you're gonna betray your future self? Yes, I am. Why? Because I have this obsession with frames of reference. Your entire life is just a frame of reference. The problem is your frames of reference change. And what mattered to me now, what my frame of reference is productivity, uh, changing my potential into actual usable skill set, making sure that my marriage is thriving, mattering in the world, um, being both the shout and the echo. So, like, doing something that matters, mm-hmm. that's the shout, mm-hmm. getting the echo back, yo, this has meant mm-hmm. something in my life. Like, that's my frame of reference today. Now, does that get me into my 60s? Probably, like I think I can be really vital into my 60s. Does it get me into my 70s? Probably not. So somewhere in there, my frame of reference is gonna change and I'm gonna be like, you bastard, as a young person, like you didn't have kids and oh my God. And I just thought, okay, what's my plan B that if it became my plan A, I would be okay? And that would be mentoring other people. And so if you look at Benjamin Franklin, never had kids, but he really got into mentorship Mm -hmm. in his um, old age. I've already done mentorship and I, it really gives me something so i'm like okay i will a thousand percent resent that i did not have kids because there will be no of my own genetic code making it into the future unfortunately i know that just technology changes so fast no book no video is ever going to make it more than say 50 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's like okay like it feels good now and i'm super stoked that like you know i've got videos that are like seven years old that like still perform word Mm -hmm. like so i know that i'm going to get some number of years super shelf life anyway so frame of reference i'm just super aware that it's going to change but i don't want to live my life for my deathbed frame of reference and so when i hear people say yo i think about myself on my deathbed and i make my decisions today based on that i think they're crazy i check in with my dead deathbed self i won't lie and i'm like okay how am i going to feel about that then ooh this one i'm actually not going to like on my deathbed interesting but am I going to change today, knowing that this frame of reference is probably going to get me into my 60s? And that, P.S., I may not live to see tonight,
0: let alone my 60s. And if you do get into your 60s, 70s, and 80s, then you can mentor and still kind of fulfill that criteria a different way, albeit not quite the same, but still kind of tick that box. Yup. None of what you just said um, doesn't make sense to me. I, I am you know, and anyone who knows me will tell you I have not been the person in my life who's always been like, I'm having kids. Um, even today, it does. It's not like a thing. Like I, I must, I must do this. Um, and so it's always interesting to me to talk to different people and to hear you articulate that because all of that makes sense to me. The. The part that I might stumble on if I was playing chess with that is I, I try to look at my life and go, what are the moments that really kind of make me feel connected? What are the moments that really bring me joy or just make me feel? I, 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 I don't like thinking about what do you really enjoy when you do it? Because most of the things I, that make me feel great aren't things that I really enjoy when I'm doing <laughs>
1: That is a conversation (laughs) unto itself. I totally agree.
0: But I do like asking the question, what once you've done it, are you glad you did? Because I find that much more kind of instructional in terms of what I should be spending my time on. And in the top three always for me is having a conversation, a true moment of connection with a person, a friend, a family member, someone I care about, or even sometimes just a person that I just share a moment with or share a great conversation with, you know, that's, those tend to be the moments where I walk away feeling really filled up. I also get it from doing something creative and, and feeling like I just got that feeling, I just did something that mattered, that expressed myself. I also get it from working out, I, but I, I, I'm a firm believer in there are only four or five things in life that, if I regularly do them, give me that feeling, and I should just spend as much of my life as possible doing those four or five things. But one of them is undoubtedly people, and I find myself constantly drawn to, even though I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. I do not easily do things with people. Uh, it takes me a no lot same. of effort. I almost instantly regret every plan I ever make I get to the day and I regret it even more and I pray and hope that they'll cancel and then they don't and uh and I go and you know for the first five or ten minutes or hour I'm kind of getting through it and then at some point it I, I have a moment where I go oh, that was so worth it I'm so glad I did that and it's always around people for me, or at least you know when it's not around work. And and interestingly, people always that moment with people, always releases the pressure valve on everything else. Mm. It always makes me feel like I know I will, you know, I go into today feeling the stress of the day and how many things I have to do today and all of that, and I know I will leave this conversation with a sense of none of it matters as much as I think it does. You know, I'll leave feeling just sort of happy, just feeling like, that was great. That was a great conversation. I just, more of that, like, that was great. And I won't, in my mind now is none of the things that for the first half of the day, I was like, I gotta get that done, and I gotta do that, and I gotta do that. And so, I suppose for me, Children, on one hand, would represent what I assume must be that experience, but on another level. And something that is frequently there in your life on that level. And and secondly, something that actually provides a kind of necessary hmm, pressure valve, balancer, perspective forcer for all of those other things that feel like they are the most important things in the world until you have a moment of presence like that, that allows you some breathing space. And ironically, I think, you know, if you take Cal Newport's deep work argument, the deep play, the the deep leisure and being able to lose yourself in the things outside of work provides that extraordinary energy to then go back in and and do that thing and and of course it adds a lot to your plate too but you've never been afraid of adding things to your plate so it's hard to make Until that now. argument as Until you now now i know better but um but so those those two things the the relationships being the thing that ultimately always brings me the most joy and that's the ultimate relationship in a sense and to those things being the necessary counter-lever to all of these other things that are responsible for a lot of joy in my life, but also a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and a lot of taking myself and life too seriously. I I imagine that it's a nice, it's a a portal out of all of that and
1: into a place that forces presence. Yeah, you're very thoughtful. I think that is very wise. Speaking of wise, where can people follow you?
0: (laughs) Uh, Instagram is a good place to follow me. Um, Facebook and I also the Matthew Hussey, the Matthew Hussey on Facebook. Uh, 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 no coach Matthew Hussey on Facebook, the Matthew Hussey on Instagram. Uh, for anyone who wants to join me on an immersive program this year, I'm coaching people for three days in November on my virtual retreat. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to MH MH being my initials, Matthew Hussey. So MH
1: Love it. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.